Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. So we did this trip to Cape Town and, you know, I thought it would be nice to talk about each place and what I liked about each place and what we did there whilst working. Um, Cape Town was just one of those things where it was in my mind when I was thinking about this and I'd actually duffed it because I didn't take my laptop with me. I just took my iPad with me and I got into trouble with my wife because she kept saying you should just take in your laptop so you could have worked and we could have we could have stayed and enjoyed the hotel for two days four days longer um which is a which is a mistake I made and we, and we won't do it again I'll you know now carry the devices with me um because you know with with two kids um you know they're still quite young there are kids clubs and the hotels we stay in we stayed in a very nice hotel um called Spear and they had a very nice um, kids club with, with two lovely ladies that ran it. And they, you know, they, they really, because, because we were there for so long, they really bent over backwards to make it a good experience. So there was no doubt in my mind that if I'd said to them, we stay in Thursday and Friday, can you look after the kids? They literally would have come pick the kids up from that, from the room to take them to the kids club for us. Cause that's like, that's how involved they were with the kids. And then we would have the benefit of this beautiful wine, you know, wine farm with wonderful views every night after work. Um, as opposed to Joburg, which is a whole bunch of it's trees and buildings, but, but it's not Cape Town. Um, so yeah, it, it's, I, I think, I think talking through each, each place would be nice. Um, Okay. The biggest thing that I, that I struggle with these with these places, which you don't know till you get there, is how good is the internet? Because um, if you you know I don't know what if you ever looked at how much data you spend on Teams, um, but because everything's video, you're looking at you know 40, 50 gigs a month um, of of bandwidth being used uh, or data being used consumed. Um, so you are you are a bit beholden to to where you're going and and what they've got. Yeah. I mean, that's the, uh, you kind of live or die by the Wi-Fi, uh, or, you know, internet strength, um, with the whole digital nomad thing. Yeah. So, so it's so a couple of things that I've learned the hard way is you've, you've usually got to get a, a local, um, SIM card, uh, where you can, Either load on, so so South Africa's got a, a network called Rain, um, R A I N, and you can pay the equivalent of twenty twenty dollars a month and get unlimited four G data. Now that's fine, provided they're in the in your network coverage area. So when I was in Cape Town, the hotel was staying and they didn't have that. They didn't have coverage there, so it wouldn't have worked for me there. But the hotel did have a business center, so I could have sat in the business center all day long. Um, and then you then you would you know plug in directly to the thing, but most other countries I've been to, I mean Cameroon had fiber long before South Africa did. Kenya used to had fiber long before South Africa did. So, so there you know the connectivity there is much better than than here. I was at that stage, so that that always helps. I guess another thing that I wanted to ask you about 
so when I was researching the the digital nomad stuff, the um, Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week mm-hmm. seemed to be a source of inspiration for a lot of people, or kind of one of the maybe foundational books uh, of this movement. So, you know, I know this is a book you've referenced a few times. So, I'm assuming it's one you know pretty well. I guess. What's your uh, guess? First of all, what what kind of stuff does he say about being a digital nomad, and then um, is it something you'd recommend people read if they're interested in that lifestyle? I think it's a good book for anyone to read anyway. Um, it's very much like Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Everyone should read that book. Um, everyone should read The 4-Hour Work Week. And it's not because you'll do your whole work week in four hours. That's just, a, you know, it's just a bad title, um, which which Tim Ferriss acknowledges. Um but what it does, there's two mental shifts that it that that it pushes on you. One is this: um, you need to be in the office every day, nine to five. Um, you know, it's taken a pandemic, but I think most people would say for most jobs, and I'm not saying all jobs, because clearly there are jobs where you need to be face to face. You can get away with doing your job remotely. Um, now, that's that's the first mind shift. The second mind shift is that. You have a choice whether you want to save up your whole life to retire with money, um, using your pension, whatever, to do the things that you want to do, or do the things you want to do while you're doing things. So when you get older, you, you know, you've done all the things you wanted to do. Um, you may not have the big retirement savings, but this is part of the book as well. But at least you've 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 travelled, you experienced things, etc. So. So there are two, there are big shifts to make. Um, And what he does in his book is he goes through almost a how to manual um, on how to approach this. And and, and one of those key things is if you wanted to, he calls them mini retirements. So instead of waiting for the big retirement at the end, you retire a little bit at the beginning, you know, every, all the time. And he, you know, he sort of gave examples of, he went from this place to this place, to this place, to this place, and did these things. He was a ballroom dancer. He did some um, martial arts competition. Um, and he, and he sort of explained some of the tips and tricks to how he got a good deal or negotiated something. But, but really what he, what he talks about at the very beginning is, and I haven't read the book in a couple of years, so this shows you how much stuck in my head is you got to do the calculation to what your, what your expenses are that you need to generate, uh, revenue for to cover your costs. So, so you know how much you need to consult or, whatever it is to earn money to pay for those things. And and he came out of running a sports nutrition business where he was, uh, you know, working 20 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and he, and he explains how he had to break his own cycle, empower his staff to make decisions and also outsource some of his decisions. So that he wasn't making all those decisions. Um, and then also with the, on the revenue side, how he worked at how much he needed so that he could go and do all these mini retirements. Um, and now, okay, look, he's fast forward now. He's, he's a very wealthy man. You know, he makes about three million a year just on his podcast. Um, so, you know, he's he's cracked it for, in, in thing, but he also did a lot of investing uh, along the way. He also, if you listen to his podcast and read his other books, he's got a very good way of breaking down complex things into simple things. Um, and what the four hour work we kind of talks to on that front is, Outsourcing things that you that are not good a good use of your time. So, so it, one thing that I'm thinking about at the moment is there's some very basic stuff I do on the podcast that I could probably pay someone, 
you know, a very small amount per hour to do, which frees up my time to do other stuff. Um, and that's, and that's kind of these things. It's, it's, it actually ties into Stephen Covey's, uh, book, um, uh, the seven habits of effective people or something like that. I can't remember what the book exactly called, but it's, it's, you know, knowing the value of your time and, and using it appropriately. Um, the other thing with, with, um, Ferris's book is he uses a lot of, uh, he outsources a lot of work to, to virtual assistants in, in Asia. Um, and I've seen how that's actually changed now that you can get a virtual assistant in any country in the world, because I think people on the other side of that have realized that they're willing to work on a part-time basis to, to do something for someone else, but they don't want a job. They don't want the grind of, of, of being fettered to one company, but they can do, you know, 60 hours a month for, for 60 different clients. I watched a, um, there's just a digital nomad, like 25 minute documentary on YouTube that followed these two people. And one of them, I think he was a Belgian man, but he was working without a contract for some guy who was really big into crypto. And so the sort of shift work he would do for him was just look at like the initial the ICO, the initial coin offering for like just tracking mm-hmm. different cryptocurrencies uh, in an Excel sheet, you know, for this guy. And that would be, you know, I mean, it is like it's a similar thing with the assistant kind of work, like doing this sort of task that someone else has obviously decided they're going to outsource. And then that gave the Belgian guy the opportunity to um, have at least like that steady income stream as part of what he use to support his lifestyle. Yeah. And I think that's a great example because there's, uh, you know, if you look at your, your task list every day, there's going to be stuff that you, that you should actually systematize and let someone else do it. That I'm not saying it's less intelligent or anything like that, but, but they are a value proposition to you to do it for you. Um, because that, I mean, you know, some of these virtual assistants, I mean, the one guy that was doing some work for me was has, a, has an MBA and a doctorate. So he's definitely not an idiot. And I asked him to work out a financial model on something for me, which if I had spent the time doing, I think I asked, and, and this is one of the things in the book is, is, is if you're going to ask someone to do something for you, set a time limit, set a, set a budget, whatever it is, this should only take you five hours. Um, and you get some good results out of that because you don't have these open-ended problems where someone charges by the hour and they do 10 hours and you only meant to spend five. Um, but he did something for me in, in four hours which answered a question for me, which if I had wasted the time doing, it would have probably taken me months to get to it um, because it would always be a lower priority item. Mm-hmm. But it was still something I wanted the answer to. So it was bugging me, but I couldn't get to it because I had other stuff to do, which was more important. But I paid someone, you know, I was, I think it was about a $50 or something like that. And he came up with a great model and it solved my, it answered my question. Um, and it got me past something that I was I was trying to make a decision on. Now, was this someone you knew, or did you did you use one of the um, services like Fiverr, or I don't remember the names of the different ones, but there are I, all those. I, I used I I used a service, um, and actually, what's what's a, a nice benefit of doing this exercise is often you sit with something you need to get done. And you're not entirely sure what it is, but in order to get someone from the service, you actually have to go through the 
the brain dump of what I actually want and what I actually, what's the output that I want, you know, so, you know, so, so why do I want this? How do I want it to look and what the, um, output is, which is the Simon Simonic, um, uh, golden circles. Um, but I, so, so I used, um, slot five, it's the other one, Upwork. I used Upwork and you basically post a job, you get a whole bunch of responses and, you make a decision from there and you just pick someone. So the person that did the last one for me was based in Kenya. Um, you know, and, and what I quite liked about that is if, if he does the work, it takes, he uses an app and the app takes screenshots of what he's doing all day long. Whenever he's logging time to your thing, and you can go look through the screenshots and he had, you know, and, and he had actually um, had some other stuff on the screen. So I challenged him on that. He said, Oh yeah, but I was, I, I spent two minutes on that, but I'll give you back one hour. I said, that's fine. But, it, but you, but you know, there's a, a level of trust that you build with someone. Mm -hmm. So the next time I use him, I, I know that he's honest. So, you know, I won't worry about the bill so much. Um, and then you, it's just, it's just a short term contract. You know, it's five hours, four hours, three hours, whatever it is. Or you could have, you know, you can have apps built using those sort of services. Um, but I think the the point going back to to why would you do this and and the and the four hour work week is, you know, it's very easy to put your money away to build up a nest egg, um, but not but not reach that point because you might be injured, you might die, you might get crippled, whatever it is, and you can't actually do those retirement things. And I think the mini retirements make a lot more sense because, you know, you know, you're able now to do these things. You know, when you get to 60, 70, 80, you can't go and play golf every day. Um, you can't go mountain climbing necessarily. You could try, I'm not saying you shouldn't try, but physically you may not be able anymore. So, so that was, that was really the thing for me about that book that really sort of, um, pushed us into more experiences and stuff. So, you know, we've, we've traveled every year, um, including through COVID because we were in South Africa now. And now that we're stuck in South Africa, we're doing things in South Africa that we couldn't have done in from the UK because the, the time you need to do it is means that you're flying out here. Then you still have to go and do the trip. Now that we're here, we're going to do the trips because we've got the time, um, which is great. You know, that's why Cape Town, Durban, um, that will be the next one. Hermanus, go see the whales, uh, all part of the plan. Sounds nice. I wish a lot of this was just the way, you know, we as a society decided everyone deserved to have, you know, to li like live and experience and that that was just kind of built into our systems, but it's not. So you have to kind of hack it, um, you know, in your own way. Uh, and it makes a lot of, I mean, you know, it's, it's certainly, I think there's a reason why a lot of people from my generation and Gen Z are attracted to, you know, having these digital nomad lifestyles or doing things differently, um, and maybe sacrificing some of that security net for later, which is that a lot of people don't have, there's not a lot of confidence that it will be there anyway, when we get, when we're old, um, you know, that we'll have social security to draw from that, you know, the, the climate will be habitable um, and that we can see, you know, all the great places that um, we could visit now that they'll even look the same, you know, by the time mm -hmm. we would reach retirement age um, or still be around or, you know, we can travel to. So, um, yeah, I mean, it uh, it certainly isn't doesn't seem the best model to wait until 
yeah, you're in your sixties to start experiencing the world. I mean, I've seen a lot of retired people who are doing that now and they're so happy and it's just, yeah, I mean, I hope one day that I can do the same, but, um, definitely don't want to wait until then to do any sort of traveling, at least in the U S it is a really big thing. Like a lot of people just haven't traveled internationally. And then they do all of that once they built up, you know, that nest egg in their, in their sixties, seventies and whatnot. Look, I'm not saying you should wait till you you've retired to go and do these things, but, but to, you know, from our point of view, we've, we've enjoyed a lot of things before, you know, before having the kids, um, we, we did a lot of traveling and, and, you know, we did a lot of things that, that, um, look, it put us, you know, in some senses into a bit of debt to do it, but, but we've explored these things. So when the pandemic hits and we, and we said, Jesus, you know, the travel thing's going to be an issue. We're like, well, thank God we've traveled. You know, imagine you're waiting to, you know, cause I mean, we were, we were planning a trip to, to Boston this year for my 40th to go watch the, to go watch the Red Sox. So we'd, we'd be in, in theory, Boston now. Um, or next week at least, and we could do it for my fiftieth. Now I'm not, you know, I'm not phased by it. But if we hadn't travelled and we planned the trip, it would have been devastating to to not be able to, to go and do it. Now it's kind of like, well, we could do it another time. It's not a big deal because um, I think being where we are now actually is is better. But I think that's one of the things that that this mind shift is: is that you've got to take the opportunities. When you when you can and not keep putting it off, um, and being able to work anywhere makes that that much easier because you know you can be connected, you can do stuff. You've got to set boundaries. You've got to have some rules about it. You can't just it's not willy nilly. And I mean, I, I know that there's there are organisations that are forcing their staff, even if they're working from home, to designate their home as their office so that they can't work somewhere else. But I just think that ruins the productivity, again, the motivation, because if you motivate people and say, look, you're an adult, you know, be professional. Okay? And I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of doing stupid things like joining phone calls in the car um, where it's noisy and people can't hear me and all the rest of it. I think that's, you know, that's that's a bad habit of mine that I have to break. But sometimes, you know, you, you, you're out to go pick up the kids because the kid's sick and you're on the way back and the call's starting and you have to be in the call because you're important to the, it's your call um, and you're affecting a lot of other people if you're not there and you have to join from the car. So so I think there's a level of, of flexibility all around. Um, you know, contributions can come in many forms and factors. They don't always have to be perfectly behind a desk. Um, you know, some people work late, late at night and some people work early in the morning. It's just, you know, how your body works sometimes or... I think one good thing to come out of, you know, all of this is that since there are more employers making that shift and realizing, oh, yeah, we can, you know, be more flexible with our employees and they're still getting the same amount done, if not more, um, that people are starting to look at that as not just a benefit of who they work for, but more of a requirement. Like who wants to work for the employer? I don't remember who it is, but um there's at least one company who is it PwC? I don't remember. Um, they have, I think they have like webcams or some sort of tracking software for their employees where they have to justify, even if it's just like taking, going to the restroom and coming back, they have to justify why they were away from their desk. Um, and of course there's like keystroke 
software that, you know, and other ways that people are really granularly trying to quantify whatever, you know, it's, it's really impossible to fully quantify productivity, but these are the ways, you know, staring at your screen and typing a lot, uh, is still valued by some companies. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's, you know, an organization like that, I wouldn't want to work in. Um, and I've been lucky, you know, we've had the tools to do all that kind of stuff. Um, that's one of the reasons you and I, you know, know each other. Um, and, and the, the, the way is never being, Okay, look, you, you are going to have cases where you want to check someone's actually working. Um, you, know, you pay someone a good, you, you pay someone a salary to deliver on something. They're not delivering on something. You want to make sure it's because they are, you know, there's, there's a good reason, not that they are, you know, freeloading. Um, and I have been involved in those discussions sometimes and had to do some investigation. It, it you know, it is the nature to be sometimes, but, but holistically, the whole organization hasn't been built that way. In fact, the, the best way we've looked at that or the best um, view on that we've had is, is the tools we're providing you up to scratch? So is the laptop working sufficiently or the desktop working sufficiently so you can do your job? Do you have enough CPU? Do you have enough memory? Is your disk fast enough? You know, all those sorts of things. So the, the entire user experience has been a factor. Um, it's probably one of the reasons why I'm so frustrated with Windows um, because I've had to look at it for you know, hundreds of thousands of users and always finding challenges with it. Um, but I think that's that's the view to have it is that, you know, your contribution to the organization, it's, a, it's an agreement between you and the, and the employer that you're there to do a job. Um, but they're not there to tell you how to do the job because if they were there to tell you how to do the job, then they didn't need you in the first place because they could just hire anybody to tell you how to do, tell them how to do it. They're looking for you to add value um, and I think that's where there's a mind shift that's, that is happening because, uh, you know, I look at a lot of groups that I'm on. If an employer is saying, you've got to be in the office five days a week, guys are saying, I want, a, I want a new job. I don't want to work in this place. I'm happy to be in the office a couple of days a week, but I don't want to go back to a mandated nine to five, five days a week in the office because I'm finding that I can f a better balance. And I think this is a key thing. Work is part of your life. It's not a work-life balance. Work is part of your life. And, you know, you, you're jeopardizing your family and all the rest of it, which is really what your legacy is in the end, not the work as you did necessarily. Um, and I think you've got to, it's got to, it's got to work a bit differently. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally think that's uh, the right way to think about it. Um, I was watching something and they were talking about, I think, I think it was in Denmark, you know, the, the nation that ranks on the the top of the happiness scale every year. Mm. Um, and the way that people self-identify there, you know, if you ask someone in the U.S. about themselves, one of the first two or three things they'll probably tell you about is what they do for work, um, if not the first thing. Uh, but in Denmark, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I like to paint. I'm, you know, I'm a parent. I have two dogs. You know, I love to eat um, baguettes and, oh, you know, like the 10 things down the list, they might tell you that, um, you know, they're an accountant or, or whatever. Um, but it's not as ingrained into who they are, which, you know, if you take the, their, uh, happiness ranking and their, I, th mm -hmm. I think that could definitely be part of it. You know, obviously life is full of so many things besides just working. Um, a lot of those things do add 
you know, the richness and the, the meaning and, and that legacy. Um, yeah. And, and I should probably, yeah, I mean, to, to your point, there's more to life and working, but I should probably come out that my, my, my mention of working is not just work, like, like mm. a job that I get paid for. It's all the things that I do. Um, that is to put some sort of output there. So it's, it's recording the podcast with you. It's networking with people. It's, um, working on that book that I one day will write, um, or publish at least, you know, it's, it's studying. It's, it's those things that are brain work. Um, that's probably what I mean more than anything else. Mm. Um, and being able to do that anywhere at any time, which is a, which is a mind shift. So, you know, we go away for the weekend. I get up at four o'clock in the morning cause it, and everyone else is sleeping and I might watch a series. I might read a book or I might work on something. Um, but having that flexibility and that freedom to take it on and, and do it is, is the mind shift I think everyone should have in, to an extent. Um, so that's a nomad lifestyle. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to keep talking about this in, in future episodes. Hmm. Super interesting, good. relevant topic, I think. Yeah. Cool. It's it's interesting because it's coming up with with friends and that even general conversation that they are leaning towards, um, you know, even even talk about this trip to Maputo uh, tomorrow. Well, I suppose my friend was supposed to go on. Um, she didn't go because of a COVID test, but that's that's a separate issue. That's more um, all these false positives that people are getting. But you know, we were talking about how I used to travel quite a lot as a consultant. And I said, the one regret that I have on that is I didn't take one extra day because you're always like, I've got to get there, I've got to get back. I've got to go do this, the sales thing, I've got to come back. But spending one extra day um, and be it go playing a, go- play, play a game of golf there or going out to a local whatever, going to see something there local, um, you know, that, that was, those are wasted opportunities. Because um, you know, the world is diverse. There's so much to see and so much to learn. Uh, and you've got to take those opportunities. Because now you you know you can't without a vaccine passport. Yeah, I mean it's certainly I think this you know the pandemic has created a lot of mind shifts and just uh, you know it's it's an eye opener for sure. A lot of things we took for granted that you maybe would have put off. People are don't want to put off anymore because you know you never know what's going to happen. So you might as well you know do the things you want to do now instead of putting them off for later yeah and i'm not saying you mustn't work for the company you work for you're still going to put the, put the results out but if those results you know whether they take you 40 hours in a week or 60 hours in a week or 20 hours in a week um you still gotta you still gotta commit to delivering and and you know i i do it now where you know if i have a, a i don't want to say a light week but if i work on a saturday a little bit on a sunday because i I've got the inspiration to do something. I don't consider that extra work that I need to be paid extra overtime for. It just makes my week the next week a bit lighter. In the same token, if I want to go and watch my daughter swimming, um, I go watch her swimming and I don't feel bad about it because I know that I've worked weekends and late nights and, you know, I've I've chosen how I want to work Mm -hmm. uh, and the results are there. So. I think it's time to end. <laughs> yeah, should wrap up there for today. Super. Thanks, Heather. All right, Speak talk to you soon. later. Okay, Cheers bye. bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter 
at the DWW podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues. 